0: Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis Lapore and Ann Baldwin.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. And happy Father's Day to all the dads out there and to all the moms who are dads. You know, it goes both ways, you know. Um, I'm really excited to have with us this morning Patrice McCarthy. She is the Deputy Director and General Counsel for CABE, which is the Connecticut Association of Boards of Education. Good morning, Patrice. Good morning, Ann. So it's been a hell of a year, hasn't it? I mean, I think we can say that with COVID and and I know with um your organization, and all the board members that you represent. I just kind of wanted to check in because it's been an interesting, you know, almost a year, really, if you think about it. So how, how did it go? We'll start there, and then we'll get to the good stuff.
0: Well, I think it was obviously a challenge that no one anticipated they would ever have to deal with. But the outstanding efforts by boards of education, superintendents, principals, teachers, our students, and our families, Mm -hmm. really meant that it was a much more successful year than we would have imagined when we started on this journey.
1: And, you know, one of the things that everybody had to adjust to was the remote learning. And I just, just, you know, so many stories in the beginning of, of making adjustments there, but I think eventually, you know, people had at least had access. We're not so sure how everything turned out, but... Access improved, did it not, for technology for students, especially in some of the urban areas?
0: There was definitely a very concerted effort to increase the access both in terms of devices as well as connectivity for all of our students. What we did learn, though, is that even with the device and the technology, there are often real obstacles to students being able to learn in a virtual environment, everything from multiple children in a family, and perhaps an adult also working remotely, meaning that there really isn't the level of connectivity that they need, to the fact that we had older students that might be needed to care for younger family members, and just a lack of engagement in some cases, because Mm -hmm. students thrive in the environment of school, and that social interaction, that interaction with their peers and their teachers is really critically important to their ability to succeed.
1: Absolutely. And eventually we, we've gotten there, right? Most schools um, have now in, in-person learning. So you talk about that, that other component that wasn't there. How hard was it to get to the point? I, so many districts, most districts make their own decisions, right, on reopening, on protocol, on all these things. How do you think that transition to in-person learning went?
0: I think it went incredibly well. Districts did make their own decisions, but they did that based on the state guidance and, in some cases, the state mandates, all pertaining to health and safety issues. And they did it in consultation with their local public health officials. So there was great communication from our State Department of Education and our State Department of Public Health. There were weekly phone calls with all education leaders around the state. And there, we also, as an association, made available weekly calls for board chairpersons so that they could hear the latest information and also connect with each other to identify what were successful practices, what were challenges that they were facing in their districts, and brainstorm about how best to address those.
1: Well, and I know Patrice McCarthy, again, is the Deputy Director and General Counsel for Cave, which is a Connecticut Association of Boards of Education and when the big house is open, uh, Patrice is always up there with her other colleagues really keeping her ear to the wall and your eye on the ball. Um, so that's one of the great benefits of you know those boards of education that are CABE members is that you do keep them in the loop because there's so much going on, so many changes in legislation and every other thing that it's nearly impossible for these boards not to keep up.
0: That's right, and and there's no sense of individual boards of education trying to essentially reinvent the wheel. Uh, for instance, the implementer bill that just uh, has been debated this week in the legislature, uh, there are 70 sections that pertain to K-12 education, and many of those provisions will have policy implications that local and regional boards of education will need to deal with over the course of the next year and we'll be able to provide them that support so that they have models, samples to look at, and we'll be able to implement those in a way that's in conformance with the law, but also meets the needs of their district.
1: It's also important, and I just want to mention this. This might seem like common sense, but I've learned that it really isn't. Just explain that your your Board of Education are folks from your community that are elected to the Board of Education um, by voters and they're volunteers. Usually, you know, some of them are grandparents, some of them don't even have children in the school, some of them are lawyers and professionals and, and whatever they are, and these are volunteers that put in so much time and effort to help run the district. It's a business, right? It's a business of educating kids. And I don't feel that a lot of people have an appreciation for board members like they should.
0: That's very true. These. I mean, it's the word you used. These are volunteers. They are in this role because they want to give back to their community. They want to make sure that their community has a strong, successful education system that meets the needs of all students. And the number of hours they spend, not just in board meetings, but Mm -hmm. in committee meetings, in supporting their schools, We have school board members that are volunteering to chaperone the all-night post-graduation parties that are taking place
1: this week. Wow, good for them. That's going to be a long night. But it just shows you, you know, the heart that these people do have for public education. And it just, you know, especially when I was a former reporter, it was interesting. I never got sent to a school board meeting unless there was a huge controversy or some sort of an issue, right? And then people complain that they don't know what's going on. Well, Attend the board meetings. Look at the minutes. Most of them are streamed online. There's no reason not to be involved and not to know what's going on in your district.
0: That's right. There are plenty of opportunities, and there are also opportunities to think about serving your local school board because this is, in many cases, a thankless job, but it is also a very meaningful job. And so if you're interested in involvement in your schools, then think about running for the Board of Education because that's the policy-making body that sets the the tone for your district.
1: Absolutely. And most of those, and, and you also, if you become a board member, let's say somebody's new at it, Cabe, another thing that you do is you support that person in becoming a board member, how to be an effective board member. There's so much training and education that's provided by Cabe to those individuals, so you don't have to try to. He's like, well, I don't know what I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what this means. You help those folks figure that out.
0: Absolutely, we provide statewide workshops, regional workshops, and workshops for individual boards of education to talk about what are the roles and responsibilities, what are the best practices, how do you be an effective advocate on your board.
1: And we just have a couple of minutes left, and I want to leave this because it is Father's Day. Um, On a positive note, not that we've talked about a lot of negative things, but what do we have to look forward to next year, Patrice? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what is your hope for public education here in our state in the fall?
0: Well, I think that over the course of the summer, school districts are making a great effort to make sure that they're reconnecting students who may have been disengaged with learning, with fun activities with socialization opportunities so that when school reopens on an in-person basis five days a week in the fall, students are ready and eager to really engage in a very meaningful way with their learning. And also, districts are looking at making sure that they provide professional development opportunities mm-hmm. for their teachers because these individuals have been on the front lines yep. all year and they too need the opportunity to be re-engaged, reconnected and reinvigorated.
1: Absolutely. And I don't think we can say it enough again to thank all the educators out there, all the administrators, all the parents. It's really been a, a you know community effort. We've all had to pull together to make this work and and to make sure that you know, the students don't fall behind. And, you know, it's back to the days where if you told someone you were going to summer school, you know, that wasn't a good thing, but it's okay because it's really a chance to make sure that you're on track going into the next school year. So there's really not that stereotype anymore with summer school, is there?
0: No, there absolutely is not. Summer school is going to be a fun experience for our students this year.
1: Well, Patrice, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a great conversation and, uh, You know, continued success to all of you over at CABE and all of your member districts in the fall.
0: Thanks so much, Anne.
1: All right. And when we come back, we're going to touch base with the Connecticut Humane Society. So don't go away. And again, thank you, Patrice, for being with us. And up next, we've got Susan Walshlager. Am I pronouncing that correctly? You did great. Did I? Okay, (laughs) good. We'll leave it at that. And uh, Susan is the Marketing and Communications Manager for Connecticut Humane and you're probably um, a local celebrity at this point, right, Susan? Because you do most of the pet segments on radio and television. Uh, that's- oh, I
2: guess so. The pets are the celebrities, though. They're the real stars, right?
1: <laughs> they, they really are. And, you know, a lot of people might think that, you know, that's a that's an easy job. But it really isn't because, you know, tell people about whether you're taking a bird or a cat or a rabbit or a dog. I mean, it's that's quite a job.
2: Yeah, you know, every pet has a story. Sometimes we know exactly what it was and sometimes we have no idea. And so sometimes the pets that come to us have behavior quirks, right? I've Mm -hmm. gone on uh, TV live for pet of the week and had a guinea pig uh, go to the bathroom on me, which is always a fun surprise. So yeah, you kind of never know, but you just always want to be so patient and understanding with them because what they're going through is pretty tough, right? They have lost their home everything is new and unfamiliar, unfamiliar to them. If you just want to try to make them feel as comfortable and, and taken care of and safe, most importantly.
1: Right. What, what's also interesting is that I think I know of a couple of people, at at least Channel 30 NBC Connecticut, I think Bob Maxon and Darren Sweeney, if I'm not uh, mistaken, both have ended up adopting some of the pets of the week because they just fall in love.
2: They have. You know, sometimes the right one comes along and it's just the the right person at the right place at the right time with the right pet and you don't know when that's going to happen. And I tell a lot of people, you might think you're looking for a kitten or a puppy or a different kind of pet and you come and meet them, but you see somebody else who catches your eye. You might head home with a senior or a dog and you were looking for a cat. So I always remind people to be open-minded, but it's so exciting when you see uh, that match happened right before your eyes.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it appears to me um, that the Connecticut Humane Society has not skipped a beat during COVID. What has the impact been on your organization?
2: Absolutely. When we started to hear the news of all the things that were happening and as COVID restrictions started to occur in Connecticut, one of the first things that people said was, how do we keep our pet food pantry operating during this because we know so many people rely on it you know we are here for the pets but we're also here for people in the community and other rescues and animal control shelters as well and so we had to change everything top to bottom to make it safer so our pet food pantry for a little bit did deliveries out to people's homes so they could still fill those food bowls for their animals and and keep their pets especially during such a tough time when they really needed each other for comfort. Uh, our Fox Memorial Clinic here at Newington, which is reduced fee, made possible by donor support, continued operating, but did curbside service, which I think a lot of veterinary offices mm-hmm. did across the state. So still taking in tests. We focused on urgent care. So routine appointments, you know, just your yearly exam, we put that off for a little bit because it wasn't urgent. And our adoptions moved to online. So we did online applications. Phone call sessions for adoption counseling where you learn about the pet, you know, what is the family looking for, making that match, and then making an appointment for them to come in. Total cleaning protocol, washing the hands, enforcing the masks, um, just try to make it safe for the staff, the pets, and the community as possible. And And some things have started to get back to normal, but we are still operating by appointment for pets who need to come in to get a new home or for people who are coming to adopt.
1: Okay, and you know, you mentioned a really critical point there, Susan. And I've had the pleasure of of seeing, you know, the assistance that you give to people in feeding their animals. Because for a lot of folks, whether it's COVID or maybe it's just financial difficulty or a situation in somebody's life, they have to make a decision. It's either them or their pet. And I know Connecticut Humane is really focused on making sure they can support and do whatever they can so that people don't have to, you know, give their pets up.
2: Exactly. We've really expanded our efforts to keep pets and people together. And as I mentioned before, you know, some of the pets come in with quirks. Well, those owners are the ones who understand those quirks. They know how to best manage them. So we might as well keep them together through different resources like help with behavior, help with filling the food bowl, help with veterinary care. Rather than breaking that family up, having the pet come in. Now we're starting from scratch, learning all about the animal, how can we best help, And the other thing that happens when you keep a pet in its home, we have more space for pets who truly have nobody, strays outside, you know, dogs who might be at animal control, a a rabbit that's a pet rabbit but was let outside and is now trying to fend for itself. So that's why we think it's so important for so many different reasons to keep pets and people together.
1: So how can people support Connecticut Humane, whether it's the pantry or how do you guys survive?
2: (laughs) Well, we're not associated with the government. We're not associated with any of the the larger national um, animal welfare groups. So for us at the Connecticut Humane Society, we are just Newington, Waterford, and Westport. We completely rely on the generosity of local residents, businesses, foundations in the community. The donors and their generosity is what makes all of this happen, what allows these animals to get a fresh start, whether that's the ability to keep their home during a medical emergency or to come find a new home. And so, you know, monetary donations are probably the biggest way to help because we can put that towards the medical care. We have so many pets right now who have very specialized medical conditions. We have a couple cats. I'm going to shout them out here just to give them a little boost. A beautiful kitty named Leah um, who has a heart condition and a kitten named Naomi who also has a heart condition. They needed to go see cardiologists because, believe it or not, there are cardiologists for pets. And so those donations allow that to happen so that we can prepare the pet for its new home and also help its new family to understand what this pet is going to need. So people can always mail a gift. They can go online to our website at cthumane.org and click the donate button. But they can also donate food for our pet food pantry. Towels, we always need, you know, gently used towels, linens, toys for our strong chewers. Our dogs love their Kongs and their bones. (laughs) even peanut butter. I mean, we know how much our our pups all love peanut butter. So there's so many ways to make a difference, even for kiddos, if they want to hold a collection drive for the pets with their friends or their scout troop. That's another idea.
1: Smooth or chunky?
2: I don't know, but I, I know it has to be the safe peanut butter without the, the xylitol in it, I think.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> It's such an incredible organization, Susan, and I also know that volunteers, you know, at least pre-COVID, also played such a huge role and still do in your organization as well, and people can volunteer.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're still slowly bringing back um, all of our volunteers, but I know something that we really need right now, and from new people, is to be fosters. And so that's bringing one of our pets into your home for a little bit of time, whether that pet is waiting for a certain medical procedure, for example, our kitties who are waiting for their cardiology appointment, or for pets who are figuring out how to come out of their shell or just to be a family member. We got in a few dogs. There was actually a tornado in Alabama that destroyed an animal shelter completely. And so we took a few dogs from them to help out because these dogs had nowhere to go. And they had been very under-socialized, and they just didn't know how to dog. So we're trying to work with them on that as well. And um, like I said, just every pet has a story, and it's just going to be different challenges. And so our fosters really play a big role in that, taking these dogs under their wing. Maybe they have a mentor dog at home who kind of shows them how it works. Hey, I'm going to this human to get a cookie. Don't you want to come? Look, they give good things. And so our our fosters are so important because of how they're helping these pets when they're going through a medical phase or just trying to become confident in themselves.
1: Have you found, Susan, that um, more people have adopted pets during COVID because more people were at home?
2: Yeah, um, from March until the end of the year, so the duration of COVID for 2020, we had three applications for every one pet. I think was the (laughs) number. So many people were looking for these pets. We just had multiple applications coming in. Um, It was hard because for some people, they you know really had their heart set on a pet. But I like to say, if that pet doesn't work out for you, that's because there's another pet out there that is meant for you. And when you find it, you're going to know this was the one that was waiting for me. And so I like to to remind people that, even myself sometimes, because I'm I'm looking for a new kitty. Um, But we're we were glad to see that, you know, shelters across the country saw this surge and people wanting to open up their homes. And the other thing I think is so cool is that people are proud to adopt. They're proud to rescue and say, my pet came from mm-hmm. so-and-so shelter. And how amazing is that? Because, you know, many, many years ago, that you didn't really hear about it that much. But now everybody adopts, and, and it's always great to hear those stories.
1: Absolutely. What about, I know I have Sue who's really gotten used to having <laughs> having my guy around a lot, but that's not going to last forever. How do do you advise people that might have been home with their pets, regardless of what the pet is, and now they've got to go back to work? How do we best deal with the anxiety, I think, that a lot of these little guys are going to have?
2: It's tough. We have to build up slowly. You don't want to just kind of pull the rug out from under them, and all of a sudden you're gone for the whole day. So if you know that your schedule change is coming up, Start with small amounts of time that your pet is going solo at home. If you worry about them getting into things they shouldn't, work on that crate training. Maybe it was something you've done before you need to get back into. And, again, just starting with a few minutes at a time. Here's some treats. Relax in your crate. I'm going to go do something else. Or you go for a walk without the dog. Or you go run a quick errand, come back. And another good tip, and it's hard to do, but to not get excited when you come home be very calm when you're leaving you don't want to make your comings and goings a big event if you're calm that will transfer on down to them to stay relaxed
1: oh that's interesting
2: have, i know it, it's hard to do because mm-hmm. you know i get home i see my dog it's a big deal i'm excited so is he <laughs> so you have to remind yourself though because it's you want it to not be a big deal for them right and have a really special treat that they only get when you are away from them so for dogs frozen peanut butter Kongs are really great. You know, they can have that in their crate and also just getting their energy out before you do leave the house. So and if you have to get up a little bit earlier, fit that walk in or fit in some playtime, uh, maybe use a puzzle feeder for breakfast because it keeps their minds busy and their bodies as they're bopping around the toy to get their, their food out of it. So there are a few different strategies you can use to help with that transition.
1: Absolutely. Great advice. One other thing, this is a, this is my own personal question, but I'm sure a lot of people out there have it. Thunderstorms. Oh my, I just get so, I feel so bad for my little shih tzu that just shakes like crazy Um, whenever there's a thunderstorm. And we've had a lot of those lately. Any advice on how we could better get our pets to relax?
2: Yeah, it's similar to when fireworks are are going on and that'll be coming up soon. So trying to have a a safe, Uh, space for them maybe with some of their favorite toys again a really favorite treat for dogs you can have their crate open and cover it with some blankets so they feel like they have a safe little cubby to go into having a fan on or the tv on or a radio or the air conditioning to try to drown out some of that noise and having someone home to be with them is also very comforting and you know especially during fireworks we tell people You know, if they can hold off on a bathroom break, that's probably best. If they can't leash your dog to go outside, even if it's a fenced-in yard, you don't want that thunderstorm or the fireworks night to be the moment you learn. Your dog's a jumper, and they escape the fence. So if they need to go out during any of those times and they really can't wait, you want to leash them and be right there with them.
1: Right. The other night, I, I just took him down into the basement because it was darker down there, and it turned on the TV, like you said, so the noise wasn't as apparent, but you just feel so badly for them when, when those kinds of things happen. And all over social media, pet owners are getting so angry because people are doing fireworks, and, you know, it's really just, it's, it's part of the process, right? People are going to do what they do, so you just got to figure out how to best, you know, adapt to it and, and help your pets get through it. Yeah,
2: I've seen a lot of people talking about it already too. And another idea is to talk to your veterinarian. You know, anytime you have a question, whether it's medical or even behavioral like this, oh, they're so nervous. What else can I do? Um, They have so many different ideas and and veterinarians have of course dealt with all of this and seen it in so many pets. So always remember they're a really tremendous resource for you and your family.
1: Absolutely. Well, before we let you go, Susan, what's your inventory look like at your three locations right now?
2: Oh, we got some ferrets, we have some dogs who've been here for a while because they really want to go home to um, another dog. Uh, Big Max and Spencer, we'll, we'll shout out their names. We It is kitten season. Right now we have a bunch in foster. They will be getting ready soon, uh, coming back for their stay neuter and their vaccinations. So keep an eye on the website at cthumane.org.
1: Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, there's nothing like having a pet, but it's not for everybody either. So make sure that if you make that kind of a commitment – That you're ready for it. Because for me, my kids are grown and gone, and it's like having a kid.
2: Oh, yeah. Especially if you adopt a puppy. I always tell people you don't, you think you can do all the research and kind of know what you're getting into, and then you you get them home, you're like, wow, I've got to be on my A game all the
1: time. (laughs) Absolutely. It is worth it, though. (laughs) It is. It is. It's like I'm even trying to plan a vacation, and then I say, well, what about the dog? You know, and I don't want to go on to a pet friendly place and then leave the dog in the room. So, I don't know if I'm going to go on vacation because of the dog, you know, here I am, you know, running around doing what I want, but I got that (laughs) responsibility.
2: Yep. Impacts every aspect of your life.
1: (laughs) Well, Susan, this was great speaking with you and so much great information. And and we just love the Connecticut humane society and all that you stand for and all that you do. And you personally do such a great job in presenting these animals to the public. Um, I, I, watch you on all the stations and I hear you on the radio so, um, folks, if, if you have a chance, if you're interested uh, in getting involved or making a contribution, again, uh, go to the Connecticut Humane's website, which is?
2: cthumane.org.
1: Easy is easy. Well, Susan, thank you very much. Again, appreciate your time. And of course, we want to thank all of you on this Father's Day for tuning in to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080.